It's been a rite of passage for medical residents to power through the night, working around the clock to see how diseases progress. But attitudes about the wisdom of this are changing. Do the work hours of residents need to be revised? This is the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and joining me to discuss fighting resident fatigue and changing the medical residency program are Dr. Kenneth Ludimer, Professor of Medicine and History at Washington University in St. Louis, and also Dr. Dan Munoz, a fellow in cardiology at Johns Hopkins University. Both of our guests were members of the Institute of Medicine's Work Hours Committee, which recently published a report that suggested changing medical residence schedules would help to ensure patient safety. Welcome, Drs. Ludimer and Munoz. Thank you. Thank you. Now, you were both on the Work Hours Committee of the Institute of Medicine that has made some recommendations about residency work hours. Dr. Ludimer, were there any basic principles in place prior to your committee meeting? Prior to the committee meeting, there were principles in, in place, namely the limitation of the work week to 80 hours by the so-called ACGME, the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education. This regulation went into effect in July 2003. There were also certain regulations put in place at that time regarding the length of shifts, the requirement for a day off per week, things of that sort. Our task was to evaluate to the best we could the consequences of the 2003 regulations and to make any additional recommendations that we thought might be appropriate. And Dr. Munoz, were there things that uh, were felt to still be lacking after these 2003 guidelines? Well, so the genesis of our committee and the purpose and the reason why it was formed was because Congress commissioned its formation and asked the Institute of Medicine to form a committee to look at this issue. So certainly there is evident concern on the part of certain members of Congress and also a myriad of of advocacy organizations. And so we were asked the question of whether, as as Dr. Ludmer mentioned, whether we needed to make further changes or make further recommendations to try to really optimize resident schedules and with an eye towards patient safety. And uh, Dr. Ludmer, did you still find that there were compromises of patient safety and um, errors being made due to resident fatigue? There certainly was evidence of resident fatigue. We should stress to the public that evidence that patient safety was influenced by this was essentially non-existent. Mm -hmm. So we are operating on the basis of fairness, plausibility, humaneness. The, The public should know that evidence that resident fatigue per se is a safety hazard is close to non-existent and is only one of many, many, many factors that influence safety in a hospital, such as the quality of staffing, the quality of of medical records, the availability of uh, x-ray, things of that sort. So it's a tiny part of the safety problem, if it's a part at all. On the other hand, common sense says you don't want to be abusive. We know from sleep physiology studies that there are predictable points where performance falls off, and the committee wanted to make some recommendations uh, that were humane and that were consistent with what we know about the needs of the human body. That's very interesting and very important that the data out there does not really show a significant risk for patient safety, but on the basis of those other things you outlined that these recommendations were, were made. Dr. Munoz, as you, you just started your, your fellowship. You're, you're just through with your residency. Can you relate to some of the issues that residents face because of the long hours in terms of humane living conditions and learning and, and other issues? I can, and I should say that you know my, my personal anecdotes are no more powerful than the anecdotes that any resident or anybody who's gone through residency has. And so I can relate, and I think that 
I can say that I had a terrific experience in residency, and it was intense, and it was rigorous, and it was at times tiring. But particularly as a cardiology fellow, now removed from residency, I cherish residency because of everything I learned. And you realize that once you're out doing either a fellowship or out practicing in the community, you really do rely upon the richness of the educational experience that uh, one receives as a resident. It really is a, a special and unique part of, of becoming a mature, thoughtful clinician. And so I think, you know, one of our challenges here, one of the contexts that, that we had to approach this with was, you know, we wanted to craft recommendations that maintain the rigor and the richness of residency and the educational experience while also making it humane and, and safe for both residents, but also perhaps most importantly for, for patients. Good points. Very good points. And Dr. Ludimer, uh, what were some of the specific recommendations that your committee has made at this point? In terms of ours, our recommendations are similar to the 2003 recommendations in that they recommend that a work week in the hospital not be longer than 80 hours. The length of time in the hospital that we recommend for residents is unchanged from 2003. Mm -hmm. The major innovation is that we recommend a five-hour nap period if residents are going to remain overnight and work the next day. The big change and the novelty of this report, in my opinion, is that it's a comprehensive educational document. It's a great mistake to evaluate the residency experience on the basis of the hours in the hospital alone. If you want to evaluate residency, as you know, you've been through it, you have to evaluate the total experience. As Dr. Munoz points out, is it a rich educational experience? What is the quality of education? Do you have enough patients but not too many patients? One problem today is that residents are given far more many patients to be responsible for than is reasonable to expect any human being to be responsible for. Mm -hmm. We recommend limits in the number of patients. We recommend better supervision. We also recommend much more help in terms of the traditional so-called scut work, the chores, the IVs, the scheduling, things of that sort, so that the residents can concentrate on the professional duties. This report is a major educational document in this regard because it looks at the entire experience of residency and as tempting as it is to look at the hours issue, we in the committee feel that is one component of the total package. Well put, at least from my experience as I look back, perhaps I did gain some experience watching a particular medical process, a congestive heart failure or a diabetic ketoacidosis through the night, but then if I didn't get that sleep, the, the richness, the ability of me to, to learn the next day, to appreciate the care of other patients was certainly compromised as I would fall asleep in teaching rounds and very, very well said. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me is Dr. Kenneth Ludimer, Professor of Medicine and History at Washington University in St. Louis, and Dr. Dan Munoz, a fellow in cardiology at Johns Hopkins. We are discussing how to change the residency experience. Dr. Munoz, there are some very exciting recommendations that you've made. Practically speaking, uh, I would imagine there's some barriers to implementing these, though. There are, and, and we came really face-to-face -face with those in our lengthy deliberation. I think that one thing that's crystal clear to those of us on the committee, and I think that should be crystal clear to those in positions of power and influence uh, when it comes to academic medicine and oversight of academic medicine and residency training, is that there is no free lunch. Mm -hmm. And that for the recommendations, the comprehensive recommendation package that we've laid out as a committee, for those to have the beneficial, positive effect that we intend, there is going to have to be an investment. An investment doesn't just mean in terms of dollars, but in terms of a culture change, in terms of people power, and in terms of a real sharpening and a real sort of focusing in on 
what the residency experience should be for the resident and what it should be for patients and their families who expect and deserve the best of care. And so these recommendations don't come free. And, and I think one of the things that we grappled with and that we feel, I think, very strongly about as a committee is that the recommendations ought to be taken seriously and the investments needed to ensure that they have the intended effect should be taken just as seriously. And that one without the other has the potential to do more harm than good. And it goes back to the oath that we take as physicians to first do no harm. And we ought to be in the business when we're talking about a system as complex and as important as the residency training system here in this country. We need to make sure that whatever changes we make are done with the most care, the most thoughtfulness, and the appropriate injection of resources and investment. And I think there is a greater awareness in the medical community about the hours issue, but as Dr. as both of you have said, there's much more to it than that. And this is an exciting, almost paradigm shift that you are proposing. Dr. Luttimer, are there things that we can do to start raising awareness and changing attitudes to make these recommendations able to be implemented? Well, I certainly, I think so, and I certainly hope so. It involves a financial outlay because if residents don't do the work of the hospital, someone has to. Mm -hmm. Are required to hire more nurses, more blood drawers, to hire other medical personnel so residents don't have to see other, to see all the patients. And I think that to the degree the public is aware that there's a, an investment, we estimate about $1.7 billion dollars to support this, to let their representatives know, and also to encourage all payers. Uh, this is for the common good. We don't see this as the responsibility of Medicare and Medicaid alone, which are the major financing financiers of residency education. Today, we feel that this is the responsibility of everyone who pays for medical care because everyone receives the benefits. Uh, so the private insurers have a role to play as well. And Dr. Munoz, anything to add? Any other things that we can start to do to encourage people to take a good look at the whole residency process? Well, I think this report does that, and I think to echo what's been said, what's critically important here is that we realize, and I think our report says this, that, that ours is, are, are but one component, and that for there to be the improvement in the system that we all would hope and desire for, ours is one thing, but so are the other things that Dr. Ludmer has touched upon as far as supervision and, and education. I think one way for it to be you know, easily crystallized in all of our minds is you know, Dr. Friedman, Dr. Ludmer, you, you all have been in medicine longer than I have, and I'm entering the profession. But one thing that everybody can relate to is that we are all fathers, sons, family members of someone who might become ill. And what might we want if we're taking a loved one to an emergency room or to a hospital at an academic teaching center? We want any resident or doctor in training who's involved in the care of a loved one to, first of all, know their stuff, be educated, and be, be primed on the latest and greatest medical care that we have at our disposal. We want them to be appropriately supervised and have easy calls for assistance or help or supervision from their senior residents and from their attending physicians. And we want them finally to be rested and fresh and ready to tackle the diagnostic and therapeutic challenges inherent in caring for someone. And so I think we are one step away from being patients ourselves. And I think it's easy to really try to imagine how we would want a system to work if we were on the patient side. And I think that's what this report and our package of recommendations tries to get at. If I may add something, there's an, and build on what Dr. Minot says, there's another dimension to this critical issue of finding solutions. And this is a dimension, I believe, that is particularly important to this audience, which is a physician audience. We in medicine have responsibilities as well. We have to change our culture. This particularly plays out in the area of supervision. An important recommendation of the committee is more and better supervision. This can be done only if medical faculties value teaching and will not penalize the physicians for spending time as attending physicians and teaching, which very frankly, many medical schools do today in our publish or parish environment. And residency program directors and faculties have the additional responsibility of 
creating an environment in which residents are not intimidated or afraid to call for help. In the past, as most doctors know, there's been this idea that someone who calls for help is is weak and uh, indecisive. That is an erroneous and dangerous attitude, and we have to work to change the culture so residents don't fear recriminations if they call for help. Very good. And I have here in front of me a website, www.nap.edu, and there is apparently a a place where you can also get a copy of the report. Well, I want to very much thank uh, Dr. Kenneth Letimer from Washington University and Dr. Dan Munoz from Johns Hopkins for discussing with us this very important and, to me, exciting report about how we need to have a kind of paradigm shift in how we look at the residency experience, both for the sake of the residents and our patients and in our profession. And they make some very, I think, important and interesting recommendations in their report, and I encourage everyone to please look into this further. This has been the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you very much for listening.